Our text is in Luke chapter number 22. We'll be considering that today. Over all the years that my family has celebrated Christmas Eve, there's one celebration that stands out in my mind. My parents were still alive, and my mom still made Christmas Eve dinner. She had her best tablecloth on the table and her finest plates and cups. The good silverware came out. And part of the centerpiece in the table, she used a deer horn with a hole drilled in it so it could hold a candle. And that was her one concession to my father because he always wanted something wild on the table. And that was it. The rest of the table was all her very best. And I remember before she said we could come and eat, she stood and looked at the table to make sure everything was perfect. The food was piping hot. Everything was perfect. And when we came to the table, my father said, Hey, Mommy, where's my bowl? He always ate out of a brown plastic bowl, which he slopped all his food together. My mother said, It's Christmas Eve. You will eat off a plate like a civilized person. <laughs> On Christmas Eve, you will not eat out of a bowl. Now, I don't remember what the meal consisted of, but just that it was delicious. What I remember most was her desire for everything to be perfect. And it was. And I guess the reason I recall that night so vividly was because many years before, when I was just a boy, there was a Christmas Eve at our house where we had no food to even make a Christmas dinner. And the neighbor dropped off a bag of peanuts in the shell, and that was our Christmas Eve dinner, peanuts in the shell. Years later, Mom told us she went upstairs and cried because we were all so happy eating peanuts in a shell. I think it became her deep desire to make up for that, and she did her best to serve the finest meal she could possibly serve. But the real reason that meal stands out in my mind so much was because it was the last Christmas Eve dinner that she ever served. The following year, she came down with a form of Parkinson's disease, and by the next Christmas, she was unable to cook a meal or even set the table. We had that next Christmas Eve at our house. I remember she came into the house and she stood and she looked at the table. And she was so confused, she grabbed the napkin and started to eat it. And so it was, I treasured the memory of her last Christmas Eve dinner because it was the last she ever made. Those kind of memories are things we treasure. Christmas Eve, a perfect table, excellent food, and a civilized approach to a perfectly set table. Sentimental thoughts that linger in our minds over all the years. In our text today, we come to just such an event. It's full of sentimental thoughts and memories and traditions and a desire to make it a perfect event with a perfect table. 
Now, last week we saw Jesus enter Jerusalem on a colt amidst the cheering crowds on the first Palm Sunday. Now we skip ahead to Thursday night of what we call Passion Week. So let's begin today with Luke chapter number 22 and verse number 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. The greatest holiday in the Jewish year was Passover. People from all over came to Jerusalem to celebrate. Passover was created by God as a holiday to remember the day that Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt into freedom. So it was celebrated with great passion, but especially in Jesus' time because of the Roman occupation of Israel. The Jews celebrated their ancient freedom with a patriotic fervor under the thumb of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. So let's look on, verse 14. When the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. Jesus said to his disciples, I just couldn't wait. I looked forward to this Passover meal with a great anticipation. I just wanted it to be perfect. So it was, Jesus had carefully planned this meal and also secretly planned what would take place As a matter of fact, this night was full of secrets. So let's look at some of Jesus' secret planning. Verse number 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. He sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we should prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And you shall say to the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber? Where shall I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went and found as he said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Jesus takes aside Peter and John and tells them secretly, go ahead of everyone else and prepare the Passover meal. Now what was the Passover meal? It would include roasted lamb, it would include unleavened bread, include bitter herbs, they called it, or lettuce usually dipped in vinegar, and it would include wine. And they say, well, where shall we prepare? He said, go into Jerusalem. The first man you see carrying a pitcher of water, follow him home and prepare the meal where he shows you. Now, my friends, it's entirely possible and even probable that Jesus had secretly prearranged with the owner of this home that he would use the spacious upstairs room for Jesus' celebration of the Passover with his disciples. We believe the house was owned by John Mark, and Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark. 
a good friend of Jesus. So it's very likely Jesus made a secret arrangement ahead of time with Mark to use the upper room. But more interesting is the question, how did Jesus know that the first person they would see carrying a jug of water would be the right person? There's thousands of visitors in Jerusalem, and no doubt many people would be carrying water jugs to prepare for the holiday meal. So how does Jesus know exactly the right person will be carrying the water jug at just the moment that Peter and John enter the gates of Jerusalem? The answer to that is, I don't know. This is an amazing coincidence. Well, no, I don't think so. I can only believe it was arranged by God. How did he do it? Who knows? Maybe somebody accidentally knocked over the water jug. Maybe somebody forgot to get water the day before. I don't know. But I'm sure that God arranged this amazing coincidence. After all, it's a secret. And Jesus wants this meal to be perfect. It was the tradition of Passover that the head of the household would be the leader of the Passover meal. And that was usually the father of the family. And as the leader of Passover, the father would ask a series of questions, such as, why do we eat bitter herbs? Which was usually lettuce, like I said, dipped in vinegar. And the tradition was that the oldest son would answer the father's Passover questions. Like this, we eat bitter herbs to remind us of the bitter bondage of slavery which the Israelites suffered in Egypt. Next question, why do we eat the lamb? Because its blood was sprinkled on the doorposts of each house of those slaves so that the death angel would pass over the houses of the Israelites. Next question. Why do we eat unleavened bread? Because they had to hurry and get ready to leave Egypt. There's no time to wait for yeast in the bread to make a loaf to rise. So we hurry and we make unleavened bread. So the tradition of Passover was that it was a series of questions asked by the father and answered by the oldest son. And that's where the sentimental memories come flooding in. Mary and Joseph's household, Joseph had asked the questions, and Jesus, the oldest son, had answered the questions for years growing up in Nazareth. And I'm sure all the disciples had the same memories of their father asking the same questions and the answers that were given explaining the symbolic part of the Passover meal. So full of memories and sentimental feelings they all sit down to the Passover table, remembering days gone by. 
But tonight, Jesus is the head of the household. And so it's Jesus who must ask the questions tonight. I'm sure Jesus remembered as he sat down Joseph's last Passover. And he remembered when Joseph died that Jesus became the head of that house. And therefore Jesus had to ask the questions as they were growing up. But Jesus had another secret, verse 16. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He says to them, this is a very special meal. And I won't eat it with you again. And so it's come to be called the Last Supper. Like Mom's Christmas Eve dinner, it would be the last one ever. And so Jesus says, treasure it like I do. Enjoy it. Anticipate it like I do. But what Jesus says next is such a surprise. He says, this meal will be fulfilled in the kingdom. What does it mean to be fulfilled in the kingdom? Well, Jesus has planned this meal, which for centuries has been a meal full of questions. However, Jesus has planned this night's meal to be more than a regular meal, not of questions, but a meal of answers. Jesus will explain how the Passover questions will be fulfilled prophecies in the new symbolism of the meal, verse number 17. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it unto yourself. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of the gods shall come. So the meal begins as it always did with a drink from a common cup. And Jesus says, this is our last cup together. After this, all God's plans will come to pass and the kingdom will come. And I'm sure the disciples are wondering and scratching their head. That's not the usual question that's asked when we open the meal. But now, Jesus isn't asking the usual questions. He's giving new answers. Verse Number 19, he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. The usual question would be, why do we eat unleavened bread? But Jesus, as he tears apart the bread, says, this is my body broken for you.
and all your favorite memories of Passover meals, please remember me. On this night, please remember me when you remember Passover meals. Verse 20. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Usually the question is, why do we celebrate Passover, and what does the cup mean? And the usual answer is, this is a cup of blessing, and we celebrate freedom. But tonight Jesus says, this cup, this cup is my blood. And as he looks down into the cup, it's a promise to you. Make tonight promise to you a new promise. My blood, I will shed it for you. So it was Jesus answered all the ancient questions, for this was no longer a night of questions. Jesus' best kept secret was he made this night a night of answers. Could it be that for 4,000 years the Passover questions were never really answered? My friends, you might wonder, did they ask the right questions? Oh yes, they were the right questions. But from this night on, we finally are going to get the right answers. Why the bitter herbs of Passover? Because sin is a bondage, and sin is slavery, and sin has bitter consequences. But Jesus will pay for sin. Jesus will conquer sin's power. Jesus will forgive, and Jesus will set free. And why the unleavened bread and the roasted lamb over a fire? The ancient answer was, because we must hurry, there's no time for boiling lamb in a pot and no time for leavened bread to rise. We have to hurry. And Jesus answered that question in a chilling way. That night, they stayed in that upper room until about midnight. And Jesus went to Gethsemane and he prayed. And at about 3 p.m., A.M. in the morning, they came and arrested Jesus. They took him into custody. They put him on trial for his life. First they tried him at Caiaphas's court. Then they tried him at Herod's court. And then they tried him at Pilate's court. And they convicted him and they condemned him to death. And they whipped him while he was tied to a post. And by 9 a.m. they headed to Golgotha's hill to crucify him. In six short hours, they hurried and they rushed and they broke all the rules to get Jesus condemned to death before the common people got out of bed. Oh, they hurried that night. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Three trials and a death sentence and a cruel whipping. Hurry, hurry, hurry. All in six short hours. the ancient question, why do we eat the lamb? Because we shed the lamb's blood to put it on the doorpost so the death angel will pass over 
Jesus said, now it's my blood that will be shed. It's my blood now that will deliver you tonight. It's my blood, a promise to you that when you believe in me and when you trust me, I will give you eternal life and nothing can harm you and the death angel can't touch you. My blood is shed, my life is given and now there is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, free at last. So it was, Jesus answered all the Passover questions that night. And we remember with great fondness how he gave his life and shed his blood for us. The kingdom arrived, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What a meal it was. A meal to remember. What a night. Questions all answered. Who could ever forget that night? But, But there's another secret. There's another secret that hides itself in the room that night. When you spend time talking to people like I have for over 40 years, you can look out and you can see people who just aren't with you. They're not listening. You can see that you don't have their attention. You can see their mind is far away. And that night, Jesus looked around the table, and that's what he saw. There's someone who is not paying attention. The others, you can see it in their eyes. They're hanging on to every word that Jesus said. But there's one, he's not listening He's somewhere else. Verse 21. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me at the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth, but as it was determined, a woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. There's another secret in the room. There are 12 disciples in the room. Jesus is in the room. And there's one more unseen but in the room. Who's the unseen one and what is the secret? Back to verse number six, verse number two of chapter 22. The chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill Jesus for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, named Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. They were glad and covenanted to give him money, and he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. The secret is that Judas Iscariot has already gone to the religious leaders and betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And the unseen one in the upper room is Satan. He has entered into Judas and convinced him to betray Jesus. How did he do that? You remember the cheering crowds on Palm Sunday, waving palm branches and shouting the praises of Jesus? One of the loudest voices would have been Judas Iscariot. 
Not that he loved Jesus, but that he thought this was to be his moment in time. Jesus would enter Jerusalem, take over the government, and Judas would be a top advisor in Jesus' new government. He couldn't wait for the moment when Judas Iscariot would be the top administrators in Jesus' new government. But Jesus did not proclaim himself king. He did not take over and bitterly disappointed, Judas decides to go to the current ruling class and gain their favor. And all they want is to kill Jesus. So Judas agrees to turn over Jesus at some quiet moment when nobody's watching. And that's why Jesus keeps the Passover secrets. Because if Judas knew ahead of time where the Passover meal would be eaten, he would have betrayed Jesus before they even ate the meal. But Jesus knew ahead of time Judas' secret. It was Jesus' desire to eat this Passover, answer all the questions that made Jesus secretly prepare for the Last Supper. Because Judas, under the control of Satan, wanted to hurry to turn Jesus over as soon as possible. And so we see, my friends, sin is always in a hurry. It rushes to destruction. Satan will push and shove and hurry you to make a decision. Jesus is patient. Satan is not. And Jesus says with a sad voice at the table that night, one of you is a traitor. How interesting it is that Jesus had carefully explained the kingdom is here. God's plans are about to be completed. The kingdom is about to arrive. And Judas is so interested in the kingdom, fails to understand Jesus' words. But after all, he's not really listening. Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is a kingdom of the heart. Jesus rules over the hearts of men. And so his kingdom has no borders, no boundaries. He rules in men's heart wherever they will listen and wherever they will believe. And so my friends, the government I support is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And the king I follow is King Jesus. After all, on that last supper, he said, please, please, don't forget what I've done. He's answered all my questions. He's promised to bless me when he said, this is my blood shed for you. And so I promise I will never forget. How about you? Are you listening? Have all your questions been answered? I trust you will believe and you'll join the kingdom. And then an unusual discussion arises among the disciples. Verse 24, chapter 22. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. It probably came from the suggestion that Jesus would be his last Passover with them. And so they argue over the question, if Jesus isn't here, who'll be in charge of the Passover meal? 
Peter says, well, of course I will. And John says, no, no, it'll be me. And James says, not you, it's going to be me. And around the table they argue who'll be in charge if Jesus is not here. Verse 25. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentile exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But, it shall, but ye shall not be so. He that is greatest among you, let him be as a younger. He that is chief is him that serves. The Romans, he told them, always seek for power, always a struggle for authority and dominance. It shall not be so among you. Don't you ever do that. When this meal started, I washed your feet like a servant. You must learn that to be the greatest has one qualification. You must be servant of all. My friends, what a wonderful Jesus. What a wonderful friend we have who served us by giving his life's blood, who died in our place, who on that cruel cross served us till the very end. My friends, Will you serve him and will you love him? We can never repay what he did for us. We can serve him and love him and that's what he's asking. So in this season of Lent, will you give him your life, especially as you remember and never forget, he gave his life for us. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you did that night how it strikes into our heart, how it answers all our questions. We thank you. We trust you with all our heart and believe in you. And may you draw us close to yourself as we come to these seasons and these things that we think of as we look at what you did for us. Bless us as we take it into our hearts and believe. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Closing, I could turn your hymn books to hymn number 208, standing as we sing. Hymn number 208, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Page 208.
chance to be forgiven. May we never forget the blood that you spilt and the promise, the new promise that you have made us to say you will forgive us, that we might be in heaven together with you and your body that was broken for us. May we never forget those things. We are thankful that you have the answers in a world full of questions, that you are the one who can lead us to the place of security and love and kindness and hope beyond all things. We ask for your help and your protection. Watch over us. Turn our hearts to you at this time. Forgive us of the many things that we have done wrong. We know that you will if we just ask. We are thankful for that. Be with us, Lord, we pray, and help us to think, uh, put our minds on you this season. Just bring us back to this place. And teach us and help us to learn and desire more of the story of Jesus and tell to others. Pray for all these things in your name. Amen. 